going on, everyone? And welcome into Plazon's podcast. We are back in our own stopping grounds of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And to open up this podcast, I would like to say that this is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their online specials for pickup and delivery. They do it all. They've got pizzas, salad, wings, and subs. You don't want to miss it. We've got a packed show for you today. We've got a weekend recap of rivalry weekend for college football, of what went on yesterday for Sunday football. Even though it was a a smaller scale of games, they were still phenomenal. Next, we've got a nice little NBA recap and kind of a projection heading into the future. And last but not least, we've got college basketball. We had some massive games yesterday, and that is going to transition straight into our Plizons. Freezing Cold Takes. This podcast is proudly featured with nothing but freezing cold takes that are so cold they're boiling hot and plenty of glitchy analysis. You know you love to see it. I love to see it too. That's what keeps me going. Speaking of keeping me going, last but not least, we've got Plaisance Locks. And boy, do I have a slate for you guys today. We are going to eat. We're 14-6 and six on the year, and we don't see any time soon that we're going to stop chugging along. So let's get started with the weekend recap. We had Ravelry Weekend, and man, it was good. Great. Starting off, we had the Michigan-Ohio State game, and this was the shock of the day for me. Ohio State, to me, was supposed to take Michigan to the woodworks. But it was the other way around. Michigan honestly just wanted this game more. They ended up beating Ohio State 45-23. to It was a blowout the entire second half. I couldn't believe it. Michigan ran the football all over Ohio State. It's very hard, however, for a team like Ohio State to overcome a slew of big plays. Look, I think Michigan won this game, and it wasn't really a fluke, but they did did have massive plays throughout the entire game, okay? They had a 69-yard touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown, a 45-yard touchdown, a 75-yard touchdown, and an 85-yard touchdown. There was only one really good drive, and that was in the second quarter. I What this says about the future of Michigan football heading into the playoffs, I'm not sure, but I do know that those five massive plays just absolutely obliterated any chance that Ohio State had of coming back or rallying in this game. I don't think Ryan Day is that type of coach to be able to rally those troops, so props to Michigan for just continuing to pound them down over and over and over again and make sure that they could not answer the call. Look, their knockout blows were just an essential part to what Michigan football has been this entire season, and it's going to equip them possibly play well during the playoffs, but it could all it's a blessing and a curse. You know, you don't have true consistency, which is your curse, but at the same time, you are never really out of a game because you can just blow up for a 65-yard touchdown at a moment's notice and put yourself right back in a game. That being said, Michigan, Ohio State, great game. Love the outcome, and I look forward to seeing what Michigan can do in the playoffs. Next up, we have LSU versus Texas A&M, and this right here is the upset alert. I pulled it out in Friday night's episode of the podcast. I knew this was coming. I said almost upset alert, but in my mind, I just didn't have the balls to say 
upset alert. Texas A&M absolutely dominated LSU. And this is what the Texas A&M team was supposed to do this entire year. They came into this season being better talent-wise than LSU. They were supposed to have better coaching, and they were supposed to have a better system. Now, Texas A&M did not perform the entire year up until this game. This is what Jimbo Fisher's team was supposed to be about. Now, Brian Kelly, I don't put any of this loss on him. This LSU team, this is not his team. This is not fully his system. LSU is finishing 9-3 and going to the SEC championship. Did any of us think that that was, would happen? That's phenomenal. I honestly am a big fan of what LSU has been able to do this season. Uh, this loss does not mean a ton to them. They were probably going to lose in the SEC championship anyways. So that being said, this upset was pre- kind of predicted by me. But, you know, I'm not going to stroke my own ego that much. All right. So, look, Georgia, like I said, is going to make quick work of LSU. Uh, I do like the uh, finish for Texas A&M, I guess. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's got a lot of questions to answer this offseason, but I definitely don't think he's going to lose his job, especially thanks to this win right here. And next up, this, in my opinion, was one of the more entertaining games of the week. We had South Carolina and Clemson. This game came down to just one thing, in my opinion, and that's a quarterback diffy. This was a canyon, canyon difference here in quarterback play. Clemson still put up 30, despite DJ, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last names, but you know who I'm talking about. His quarterback play was putrid. He only completed eight passes on the day. He threw a bad interception. Clemson just could not stay with the running game. They had to continue to compete with the pass with South Carolina. Look, Spencer Rattler, he's playing like the QB he was supposed to be. He's finished 25 for 39, 360 yards, two touchdowns. They have back-to-back top 10 wins. And this South Carolina team is finally playing Beamer ball, baby. That's what he was talking about at the beginning of the year. This is the type of team that is a giant slayer. Okay, I could very much see this team having a Tennessee-like season next year. The only issue is they have to play Georgia at the beginning of the year, and that is really a tone setter. But South Carolina finished this season off with a bang like they were supposed to. I loved this game, and I'm so excited that Clemson took the L that they were supposed to. Rolling into the next one, we had the glorified Iron Bowl. This was a great game. I loved the fight that Auburn put up. But most importantly, I love that Alabama had an answer for Auburn Every single time they scored, it was phenomenal to watch Bryce Young fire on all cylinders. The running game was good. The defense showed up late. The offense was phenomenal. It clicked. Uh, The only bad thing about this game for Alabama is that this game might have just saved Bill O'Brien and Pete Golding from getting fired. I would really not like to see them back in Alabama next year. But if they put up another performance like this in a bowl game or a playoff game, then I guess you have no choice but to keep them. I That being said, look, Auburn just now hired Hugh Freeze. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But Cadillac Williams, great interim coach. I really loved watching him coach. He seems so impassioned. He loves Auburn. Auburn loves him. I'd love to see him back in any kind of capacity next season. We'll see what happens with that later on in the offseason. That being said, let's roll right into Oregon versus Oregon State. This could have been the most season-altering game of the week. I think that it was. With this upset, Oregon misses the Pac-12 championship. And you would think that now Washington would go to the Pac-12 championship because they finished the season 10-2. and But no, because of a strength of schedule tiebreaker, Utah now goes to play 
USC center stage in a rematch for the Pac-12 championship. Look, that was incredible to me. I literally had my ego stroked the entire day about it. I ended up losing all confidence on this at the end of the day because I could not believe the tiebreaker scenario that Washington and Utah were under. But it's all thanks to this loss that Oregon suffered to Oregon State. Bo Nix and Oregon, they were they were outscored 21-3 to in the final 15 minutes of the game. But it seems Oregon is building for something more than where they're at right now. And I think they're off to a good start after the Mario Cristobal departure. So I give them credit for having a stronger end of the season. But this, this loss was kind of unacceptable, especially uh, for being up so big so late. I think that Oregon will have a good bowl game, but... They could have had a chance at a Pac-12 championship. So this season ultimately ends up being a disappointment for them. Uh, that being said, USC versus Notre Dame. Now that was a really nice end to the night. The Heisman race, it's finally over, guys. Caleb Williams had his moment among the stars. C.J. Stroud is out of the conference championship weekend. And Caleb, William, Caleb Williams has the spotlight all to himself. He finished the night against Notre Dame with 267 total yards, four total touchdowns, and he just looked like a grown man, even though he's only a sophomore in college. I loved his gameplay the entire night versus Notre Dame. I loved his gameplay the, the weekend before this one against UCLA. I was really proud of what he's become in such a short amount of time, being pulled off the bench last year to fill in for his uh his counterpart in Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, immediately transferring with Lincoln Riley to USC to play with a new team and new players. And then to pair up last night with Jordan Addison, who was supposed to be the best wide receiver in the country this year, that was just amazing to me. Addison, speaking of which, is looking much healthier. I'm really excited to see that. And I'll be honest, this USC team, if given the right schedule, might make some noise in the playoffs. Kind of like Oklahoma did in 2017 when they went up against Georgia with Baker Mayfield, who was the Heisman winner, head coached by Lincoln Riley. This is screaming, screaming history repeating itself to me here. I would love to see that game, Georgia-USC. They'll have to make it happen, though, in the conference championships this weekend. That's going to do it for our college football recap. And now let's roll right in to our Sunday NFL recap. I love the slate of games. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers fell short again to the Cleveland Browns. Tom Brady just couldn't get it done once again. I don't know why it didn't seem like things were clicking once again. It's either a mental thing or a coaching thing. And to be honest, I am leaning towards a coaching thing because I trust the mental status of Tom Brady. Look, just when you think the Bucs are finally on the right track, they punt the ball nine times. And only put up 17 points on a, a decent, maybe, Cleveland team. I think they're not very good, but just mind-boggling to me that the Browns just looked like they just had Tom Brady's number almost the entire game. Look, they are still first in the division. The Buccaneers control their own destiny. And look, I, I still don't doubt Tom Brady when it's playoff time. So they could sneak in at a four seed, host a playoff game, and then make some noise in the NFC and maybe even make the Super Bowl. I wouldn't put it past him, but my God, you have to win this game versus Cleveland. It is Cleveland with no Deshaun Watson. But moving on, Bears-Jets, wonderful game. 
everybody, let's just go ahead and buy in on Mike White, who put Zach Wilson in his grave yesterday. There are no more excuses for Zach Wilson. Mike White torched an average to maybe good Bears defense for 315 yards and three touchdowns. Something that Zach Wilson has not done in his entire career. Mike White in one game out-yarded and outscored Zach Wilson over the last two games. That being said, Bears take a huge loss without Justin Fields. Jets, huge win, really sending them to the top of the playoff standings in the wild card section. I love this Jets team. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I want to see what kind of noise they're going to make this offseason. Now, my favorite game of the day, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Baltimore Ravens. Jacksonville has shown another big sign of growth. This was probably, in my opinion, as a humble, unbiased Jags fan, this was the drive of the year in the NFL. It's the first game-winning drive that Trevor Lawrence has scored a touchdown in his entire career. This Jags team is young. They're not wise enough to know that they're most likely out of the playoffs. I expect this team to stay competitive for the rest of the season like they have all year. Look, six of their seven losses are one-possession one games, and most of them have the Jags with the last touch of the ball. They just couldn't get it done until yesterday. I love that Trevor Lawrence drive. I couldn't believe that he finally put it together. He now looks like the prince that was promised. Jags going for the rest of the year. I'm riding them out. Let's ride that wagon. And last, on our NFL coverage, there are plenty of other games, but not really many that were notable. Let's look at the Packers versus the Eagles. And just flat out, it's time for the Packers to shut down Aaron Rodgers. He hurt his ribs bad last night. He was in excruciating pain, so much that the Packers had to pull him, immediately take him to the locker room, do an x-ray, and then they, they had him out for the rest of the game. I think Aaron Rodgers is done for the year. He has now hurt ribs and an already broken thumb. Not to mention, this man is 38, I'm pretty sure. He does not need to be taking the pounding that he is right now. And for what? The Packers are pretty much out of the playoffs. Look, the Packers put up a decent fight, but it's too little too late. This is a time that the Packers can do one of three things. They can advertise Jordan Love to trade him. Or they can finish the season 6-11 with Aaron Rodgers and risk nothing. Or they could do what they should have done two years ago and play Jordan Love, giving him all the reps just to see what he's about. If he's not about it, then you build your team around Aaron Rodgers. If he's about it, then you get rid of Aaron Rodgers if at all possible. Push him towards retirement. Do whatever you have to do and build this team around a young Jordan Love on a rookie contract. And like I said, that's going to do it for our NFL coverage. We're going to roll right in to college basketball. I really only have two notable games to talk about, but they were huge in my opinion. First up, Purdue smoked Duke, beaten by 19 points. Zach Eady, he's making far and away the best case for the Wooden Award. He's averaging 21.7 points per game, 12 rebounds, and two blocks. The physical basketball that the Boilermakers are playing right now, it's dominating the country. And look, Purdue is capitalizing on this big man play. After an 18-point win against Gonzaga, the Boilermakers decided to just one-up themselves and beat Duke by 19 points. I was so unbelievably impressed. I thought they were going to lose to Gonzaga and not even get a chance to play Duke. This, to me, was the surprise of the weekend for college basketball. I loved watching this Purdue team. 
out-rebound, out-shoot, out-block, out-steal, and out-play Gonzaga and Duke. Two blue bloods. Beautiful basketball. Speaking of beautiful basketball, we had an absolute banger of a game last night. Alabama topped North Carolina in not one, not two, not three, but quadruple four overtimes. The Tide came out on top, 103 to 101. And look, I think this Alabama team is much different than years past. It doesn't seem like this team needs to be carried by just one player, even though they have a top five draft pick in Brandon Miller. Okay? He did not really have that great of a game last night. He had 14 points on four of 21 shooting, but there were five other Alabama players that scored 10 or more points. Three Alabama players scored 20 or more points. I love to see it. You know what I really love to see is Javon Quinterly coming off the bench, scoring 20-plus, and having a hell of a game, inspiring the rest of this team as the veteran, as the leader. It was phenomenal to watch. This UNC team, they are still a good team. But like I said, this, but like I said, like I said on this past Saturday when they lost to Iowa State, this is no longer a blue blood college basketball year. This is the year for anything and everything. And that's what I love about college basketball. That's what I love about this Alabama team. They'll get stomped by UConn one game and come back and beat North Carolina. Roll Tide. Now, we're going to get into some NBA coverage. Last night, Klay Thompson finally back in his groove. Warriors win their second road game this year against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Klay is finally doing his thing. He's averaging 25 points on 54% from the field and 60% from three in the last four games, and those are all in the win column for the Warriors as well. If he can continue to play like this, the Warriors can look like the best team in the entire league and probably repeat as champions. That is excellent to see for the Warriors, and honestly, in my opinion, I love it for Klay Thompson. He has fought so hard to get back to what he was playing like in 2019. He's looking like it now, and that's wonderful news. Next up, we've got John Morant. He had a triple-double in the Garden. Man, all of these players that don't play for the Knicks, they come to play in the Garden. The Knicks players, they take it for granted. They don't understand that when you play in the Garden, you're on national TV. You're playing in front of the biggest fan base in the country. This was phenomenal. Jaw dropped, like I said, a triple-double. The Grizzlies edged out the Knicks 127-123, to and that honestly puts him at the top of my MVP ladder right now. He's averaging 28.5, 7.5 assists, 6.5 rebounds on 47% shooting. And they're on a win. he's on a winning Grizzlies team that is in such a tough Western Conference. If he continues to play like this, I would most definitely put him on the MVP ballot at number one. Now, speaking of an MVP candidate, now, speaking of an MVP candidate, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks are struggling. Look, Luka and the Mavericks, they dropped below 500 last night playing against the Milwaukee Bucks. In Milwaukee, I will give them, but still, Luka had 27, 12, and 5, but there were only three other Mavericks to score in double digits. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Bucks had six players to score in double digits, and they did it without... Chris Middleton, and that, my friends, is going to roll us in to Plaisant's freezing cold takes. The take's so cold that it's boiling hot. My take today is the Dallas Mavericks will miss the playoffs. Now, that being said, 
they're going to make the plan because there's 10 seeds. There's no way the Dallas Mavericks missed the plan, but they don't make the top six seeds. Luka, he looks like he's emptying stat. He looks like he's empty stat padding. Okay. He looks very similar to Russell Westbrook's first season without Durant when he averaged a triple double. This team is completely centered around Luka. He can't completely backpack the team to a win. You've seen it now 10 times out of 19. The loss of Jalen Brunson was huge. Even though he is really like a third option to the Mavericks, he was the key second. He was the key second option. Now the Mavericks have Spencer Dinwiddie and Chris and Christian Wood, who they are good players, but they're not players that you can center your team around to be behind Luka. This looks very much like a 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers team with LeBron James. I just don't buy that Luka is enough like LeBron to carry this team to the playoffs, let alone, let alone the finals. Okay, The Mavericks have a tough schedule the next eight days. They have six games, four of which are against the Warriors, the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Bucks again. This could be a season-tone-setting moment especially if they drop all four. If they drop all four, they might be shooting for the top of the lottery because this Mavericks team is struggling. And last but not least, we've got my favorite part of the show, the greatest, the best, most tightly locked pick in the world. It's time for Plaisant Locks. Now, before we get into Plaisant Locks, I'm going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is that this is one of the last days of Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. If you are a man or you have male friends, please reach out to them and talk about their mental health with them or think about your own mental health. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. Everybody needs somebody to vent to. I know we are focusing on so many different things in our country right now, but men's mental health is something that is not necessarily talked about often. Uh, if you have somebody in your life that you consider uh, at risk for mental health disorders, please reach out to them or a loved one in their life. Uh, I just wanted to say that now we're going to get into the greatest part of the show. Plaisance locks starting off Kansas minus 24 and a half versus Texas Southern. Texas Southern is not a good basketball team. They're one in six outside of a fluke win against Arizona state which is a mid-tier team at best, they are losing the rest of their games by a 20-point average. And they're not playing Kansas every time, okay? They are playing just eh teams, and they're getting crushed. On the flip side, Kansas has played two slightly better non-conference teams at home this season, and they beat them both by an average of 24. Now, that being said, tonight, look for a Kansas team that is hungry, starving, to bounce back, from a tough loss against Tennessee a few days ago, they are going to come out tonight in Kansas and hit the J-Rock and let everyone know that they mean business when they play teams. This is a business meeting for them. Next up, we've got the Pelicans minus five versus the Thunder. This is so simple. you got to think about it. There is one and only one Zion Williamson, and he's playing like a top 10 player this year. The Thunder have lost four of their last five, and they're three and seven on the road this year. I don't expect this to honestly be close at all. Okay. Zion is going to absolutely dominate. The Thunder don't have an answer for him. Meanwhile, SGA for the Thunder, he's going to get eaten alive by Jose Alvarado, aka 
Grand Theft Alvarado. He's going to pick his pocket and annoy him the entire night. Pelicans minus five. Book it. And last but not least, we've got the Los Angeles Lakers minus three and a half versus the Indiana Pacers. The Lake Show is coming alive, baby. They've won five of their last six by an average of 13 points per game. LeBron and Anthony Davis are known for picking on young players. They're both going to be playing tonight. The Lakers are almost back at full strength. This, to me, is a battle of wisdom. And it's one thing that the Pacers lack. Okay? The Pacers are on a back-to-back as well. And they just lost last night to a Los Angeles Clippers team with no Kawhi and no Paul George. Young players, young teams do not perform well on the road, and they do not perform well against veteran teams. Look for the Lakers to hammer this spread. Lock it in. Take it to the bank. You already know. Throw your mortgage on it. Blizzone is not responsible for losing locks. Please gamble responsibly. And that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I love talking to each and every one of you at home. You are the greatest audience on the planet. We will see you guys tomorrow. Hopefully we go 3-0 in our locks. Have a good night.